Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This episode reenacts scenes of war. You'll hear gunfire and descriptions of violence. Listener discretion advised. America Looks Abroad, presented at this hour on Sunday afternoon by the officers and staff members of the Foreign Policy Association. Are menaced by one weapon which they have not yet successfully controlled. Meanwhile, the British government has begun to ration food, and Prime Minister Chamberlain on Monday warned the British public that they would face grim sacrifices and a lower standard of living for the duration of the war. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Raposo. And one thing I did not expect when I started sitting with our World War II veterans were how many of them would share stories of feeding foreigners abroad. I went to Leyte Gulf. They were friendly and they were gracious that we were there to serve them. When we pulled into the flight, everybody's waving as the ship went in because we were bringing food. They had nothing to eat. At that time, it was very strict rations. And what happened ended up, the kids didn't have not much to eat. We fed them in the morning and what we call 10-1 rations. Welcome to Service, Stories of Hunger and War, a production from iHeartRadio and me, your host. There's a lot of weight to the word rations when we look back at this point in history. The word alone means a designated amount of food assuring survival. But hunger and want are associated with it too. In our episode with Coast Guard gunner's mate Frank DeVita, we heard about rationing in Scotland and how much it meant to family to receive a tinned ham. Today, we spend time with John Bastricka, who was on Frank's ship on D-Day before storming into Normandy with the Army's 1st Division. For those in the infantry like John, rations could mean a few things. K-rations were survival food, a combination of preserved and dried foods like biscuits and jerky that could be carried from position to position, and they'd stay dry and fresh. When you hear John say that he only has a D-bar to eat, 
He's referencing an oat and chocolate bar the Hershey Company created that wouldn't melt and was bitter enough that men wouldn't want to scarf it down unless truly hungry. And as we're going to hear, because they were staples in the K-rations and at base camps, several veterans reference how much they hated powdered eggs, so many of them remember the simple joy of finding a fresh egg. C-rations were cans mixing wet and preserved foods. Evidently, there was a lot of hash in those C-rations. Today, these kinds of rations are called MREs, meals ready to eat. And we civilians can thank such wartime production for our favorite instant drink powders and protein bars, a connection we're going to explore on this show down the line. Then, there are the rations imposed by governments upon civilians to help regulate foodstuffs in short supply. Transportation means prioritized moving war equipment and personnel, and so imported items like coffee, sugar, meat, and canned goods became limited and could only be purchased with ration cards. Grocers would stamp the items you were buying, and once your stamps ran out, no more of that item for the month. As we'll hear, John's war and food story is a bit feast or famine, with both sides of the word ration at play. So now, let's slow and sit with John Bistrica. John E. Bistrica, Private First Class. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. My father worked hard. He was a blacksmith. He worked 42 years as a blacksmith in McDonald's, Ohio, for U.S. Steel. He used to speak the Croatian language mostly to us instead of English. And then my mother used to holler at him, speak English, speak English. But he used to sit at the supper table talking Croatian. My mother made Croatian food and English food. She used to make a nut roll, roll the dough on the dining room table, then put the nuts in there, then roll it, and then bake it. It took a lot of time. And when she made raisin cookies and cake, that took a lot of time. And at breakfast, I had Jack Armstrong's American Boy Wheaties. That's what she would give me. I got a hold of the newspaper, and I sat down on the chair, and my dogs jumped up on my lap. And my father was sitting in a rocker in the other room. And then as I was reading the paper, the radio came on and told us, December 7th, 1941, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. And then my father said to me, see, I told you they would throw the scrap back at you. The Japanese used to come and pick up the scrap metal that was no good to us anymore. They used it in Japan. They made things out of it that they didn't have the steel there to make it out. When they used to come to McDonald's to pick up the scrap, tell everybody out there that someday we're gonna get it back at us. And that's what happened. When I went to church on a Sunday, I found out that one man, he was at 10.30 Mass with me two weeks ago, and he says, I'm leaving, I gotta go back to Hawaii. And then we found out that he was killed in Pearl Harbor on the Arizona. Well, everybody was worried about what was gonna happen. All the conversation was about the war. We talked about it in school. All the boys were wondering if they were gonna be drafted and what was gonna happen. I graduated June of 42. 
I went to work at a brewery, and then I went to a commercial shearing plant. And the things that I was welding, parts of Bailey Bridges and pontoon bridges, I didn't know that someday I would go over them. I got drafted in October. I never got called up until January of 43. I was an infantryman, but I was actually armored infantry. If it was an armored dude in attacking, that's when the armored infantry would come and back them up. You had a train for everything. You had a train for half tracks, and a jeep wasn't called a jeep, it was called a peep. And you had to learn how to drive them. I got a T5 rating, and I got a jeep driver for the colonel. Fort Me, Maryland, they called that Boomtown because there were tents and they were selling all kinds of equipment, shoelaces and wristwatches, and they were selling food. I was safe before Thanksgiving. I was in 43. I was going to be leaving that day, so I ordered the hamburger. That was the best hamburger I ever ate. Just something how they put it together, it was just so tasty. Maybe because I was eating all the bad food, I don't know. We got on the ferry in New Jersey, and it took us across to New York to Pier 90. And that's when I got on the HMS Rangitiki. It traveled from New Zealand to Australia and maybe South America. And they picked up Coca-Cola and white bars of chocolate. We used to get a lot of spam, and we ate a lot of mutton. About 200 of us got on the ship. Convoy probably had 100 ships. You could see the screws of the ship behind you. And we were escorted by Canadian corvettes, aeroplanes, and we had Navy ships with us. The ship on the right side of us going up was full of wax and registered nurses. We used to wave to them. That's all we could do was wave to them. I guess they were getting ready for the war, too. You had to exercise every day jumping off the ship. And we had special life preservers. May West Life Preserves. I'll save you boys. Somebody gave them the name. And if you went out on the deck, you had to put the May West on in case the ship was shot. We had two submarine attacks at nighttime, but nothing happened to us. The convoy broke up into three parts, and I stopped at Liverpool, and at Liverpool we were put in trucks, and we were sent up north to Litchfield. And then we took us to Lyme Regis, where I joined the 1st Division. What I remember in Lyme Regis, everything was a blackout. You had to keep the lights shut off to drive in the vehicle. And when I first got to England, I used to holler at the English people, get on the other side of the road. I was the wrong one, not them. Sometimes they used to swear. They were in wartime status. But the best thing I ever had out there was pudding. Yorkshire pudding. That was good Yorkshire pudding. We didn't talk about the war. We weren't talking about the invasion at all. We tried to keep it off our mind. We didn't want to know what was going to happen. We used to go downtown and get fish and chips. We played in the rec room. We played ping pong in there. There was nothing much you could do there. One Sunday, I went to the charge of quarters. Is there a Catholic church around here? He says, yeah, it's up the road, St. George's. So I was in my uniform, and I walked through the door, and the officers took me up front. I said my prayers, I sat down. Then all of a sudden, the priest, dressed in his vestments already, came out. He says, were you an altar boy at home? 
I said, yes, I used to serve 1030 Mass. He said, well, guess what? You're going to serve Mass today. So I served Mass in my uniform. And then after Mass, here are the ushers and a couple of women there. They took me down the hill in the restaurant and they bought me a breakfast meal. And they told me it wasn't powdered eggs, it was real eggs. So that's the first time I had real eggs when I was in England. The English people were very good to us. And before we left, they had tears in their eyes and they were wishing us luck. After we left Lyme Regis, we went to D camps in Portsmouth. Everything was quiet down there. You couldn't go anyplace. The MPs were watching the gates. You couldn't even write a letter. They didn't want the Germans to know what was happening. You had nothing in your wallet to identify. You had to take all your patches off your uniforms and your hat. But the Germans knew already that we were the first division. Samuel Chase was the ship that carried all the landing craft. They had a special code word, Piccadilly Circus. That was the code name on the landing craft. You were supposed to stop at Piccadilly Circus, which is actually 11 miles out in the channel, because they didn't want the Germans to know where the heck we were at. While we were sitting on Samuel Chase, going around in circles, before I got to the landing craft, the one sailor came up to me. He said, how would you like some nice food? I said, I would love it. He said, but you'd have to give me your blanket. So I give him my K-ration boxes, three boxes. He filled it up with fruit, cake, and bologna sandwiches and everything else. And then the invasion was delayed one day because of the weather. I carried my assault jacket, over 100 rounds of ammunition, four grenades, and I carried a whole pack of rifle grenades, my cartridge belt, then my life preservers, and then I had the gas mask. I would say probably 40 pounds of equipment. After the break? When I got off the landing craft, I prayed that I get off on shore in one piece. Stay with us. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome back to Service, stories of hunger and war from iHeartRadio. I'm Jacqueline Raposo, and as we continue with John Bistrica's story, I'd like us to keep something in mind. This season, we're hearing the voices of men over 90 years old, John just turned 96. Only a few years ago, he was able to travel for the 70th anniversary of D-Day, connecting with and educating crowds. Now that's not physically possible for him. Our veterans are very aware of how many of their compatriots are passing daily. Bodies once strong and true fallen prey to tide and time. These service episodes honor the stories our veterans can share with us now, but if you visit servicepodcast.org, you can see and hear more of their contributions over past years. And the scars from what they gave in that service over 75 years ago now haven't nearly faded. Would I be lying if I said I wasn't scared? When I got off the landing craft, I prayed that I get off on shore in one piece, and I did. But I went off in waist-deep water, and many of the guys didn't make it. There was nobody in my way. There was no Germans or nothing, because they already had pulled out. But after I got off on the beach, and I was looking for my sea company guys, I come up into the hedgerows, and I seen a GI. He was bent over the hedgerow. Well, he was from C Company, but he was also dead. He had a bullet through his head. A sniper had got him from a tree. I finally found the rest of my company. The first thing the sergeant says, you got any rifle grenades? I think there's two snipers in those trees. So I set the rifle down and he told me which way to push it, to the left, the right, or up or down. And I fired two rifle grenades. No shots from the trees. Either I killed them or they took off. After we got organized and we went on the road, we run into some French. They gave us cognac to drink, and all they would say is, Bosch kaput. That means the Germans took off, and they would tell us which way. So as the day went on, we were going through the hedgerows. So to get to the other hedgerow, you had to crawl underneath the hedgerows or over the top of the hedgerows. You didn't go through a gate because the Germans had their guns zeroed in on the gate. So if you went through the gate, you certainly wouldn't get killed. 
when we stopped before nightfall, we were told, don't dig a slip trench, dig a foxhole, because we might have an armor attack while some of us slept. I looked at my rations, all those K rations that I got from the sailor on the ship, they were soaking wet, so I couldn't eat them. I had to throw them away. Here I was with no food except a D-bar and no blanket that night. I used a raincoat to cover myself up. The guys gave me food. And then all you heard was the big guns screaming memes in the battle wagons to where you could touch the shell going over your head. We were going south in France from Omaha Beach. So that night nothing happened, but as morning came, the sergeant was coming down the line where we were all dug in. And he would tap us on the helmet, and he'd put his finger to his mouth to be quiet, then he'd point. We'd run into 14 Germans, but they weren't Germans. They were Lithuanians, Polish, and everything, just like the American Army, drafties. They surrendered, dropped all their guns on the ground, and they were captured. Comont was the biggest city. We had it made at Comont. They had bigger hedgerows. That means we could dig a bigger hole to go sleep at night. We sent out patrols, and at nighttime, guys had to go out and stand next to a tree, make sure no Germans were sneaking over to shoot at us. And then one time, we went on our post, and we heard a noise. And here was a Red Cross truck, and the girl got out. She says, where's the front lines? And I says, well, you better go back a couple hedgerows. They didn't know they were past it. They got back in the truck and took off. We never did get coffee and donuts that day. They brought rations up to us all the time, the guys in the Jeep. I didn't smoke, so I gave my cigarette ration to the Frenchman, and he would give me a loaf of bread. And then as we were walking along, if there was no Germans to fight, we were just walking. We'd find them on the road standing with cognac in their hand. Then we would dump the water or whatever we had in our canteen and put the cognac in there. So it saved it till the next time. And then my aunts would send us food too. They'd send us cake and candy and everything there. What was happening at home? What was happening to my dog? My father was still working pretty hard. The food my mother used to make. The nut roll, kielbasa sausage. That's one of our favorite Croatian foods. Kielbasa and blood sausage. We were never hungry, that's for sure. October 44. Everything was falling down on me, the slag pile. I was all full of slag. I couldn't hear ammunition that they're firing from the guns. The loudness, I guess. When they picked me up, they were talking to me and I couldn't understand them. I was losing my hearing and they were making noise. I ended up back in England and I wanted to go back and they wouldn't let me.
convoy went over on it. Took 15 days. The Queen Mary took five days to come home. I come home on a train five days before Christmas. When I came to the door, I knocked, and the dog woke up. Ouchie. It's a Croatian name, Ouchie. Nobody was home. Then I had to go look for where my mother was. So I went up the next street, and she was up the neighbor's house. When we come home, she unlocked the door. The dog jumped on me right up to my shoulders, and he would never let me go. Because three years he hadn't seen me. I went down on Front Street. It was really something. They had boxcars down there full of Christmas trees. That was the first time I decorated since I left the service. We had a special dinner, and I went to midnight mass. How many of my friends aren't going to be here this Christmas that got killed on Normandy? There's not many of us left. Of over 15 million surviving American World War II veterans, we can estimate that maybe 350,000 are living today. We're thankful to have John Bastricka with us as one of them. John was wounded in late October of 1944. He returned to Youngstown, got married to his childhood sweetheart, Anne-Marie, and they had four children. He lives in Youngstown to this day. Of course, there's a lot more to John's story. You can hear him explaining details about hedgerows and foxholes in our short supporting episode for The Mechanically Minded. And you can see photos of letters he wrote to Anne-Marie during the war, hear a clip of him sharing his run-in with the Andrews sisters, and more at servicepodcast.org and on Facebook and Instagram, we're at servicepodcast. I always invite you to invite your loved ones to the table. And if so inclined, you can share stories back with us too. Or leave notes we'll pass along to our veterans. There's a form for that on our website. Next time, we move into Italy with George Hardy of the U.S. Army Air Corps. As one of the prestigious Tuskegee Airmen, the segregated African-American fighter pilot squadron, we'll find that George's food stories are less about what he ate and more around when he couldn't eat. Service is a production of iHeartRadio. This episode was produced and edited by me, Jacqueline Raposo. Junie Ramekin was our excellent on-site engineer with John. Deanna McGovern did our vocals for Mae West. Gabrielle Collins is our supervising producer. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Our art is by Girl Friday. Thank you to John Sunjo for all of his help. Thank you for listening. And thank you, those who are serving and those who have served. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. 
What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.